Hello and welcome to the Star Trek Academy, a podcast about the latest new episodes of Star Trek. Today we're looking at Season 4, Episode 4 of Star Trek Discovery, entitled All is Possible. Your hosts are two of the Academy faculty members. I'm Michael Merrick. I'm the media professor. And I'm Rodney Cup. I'm the philosophy professor. And you can keep track of our new episodes and other announcements by following us on Twitter, at Trek underscore Academy. A pinned post there has links to platforms for your podcast app, or you can subscribe directly at anchor.fm slash Star Trek Academy. Now, if listeners are keeping track, which maybe they're not, uh, they will notice that usually Rodney and I take turns doing our episode descriptions, which are coming up in a moment here. But you'll find that right now I'm doing maybe three in a row. And basically the reason for that is this is finals week. Rodney has a busier schedule of giving tests and grading than I do, a lot more grading than I have to do. And so I'm doing a few in a row and he'll get caught up after school is out. I promise. I promise. Yes, yep. we really are college teachers. We really are. And yeah. Yep. And if you think finals week is busy for students, after each final is complete, uh, the professors do all the grading. And the deadline is set by the school, and that deadline is an immovable object. So I will do what I can when I can. (laughs) (laughs) You will take time out to watch Star Trek, but then the rest of your life for the next uh, few days will be grading assignments and things. Yes. That's right. But before we get started discussing this episode, uh, we are going to start with a brief description. And we just talked about who's going to provide that for you this week. There are spoilers but it's an overview of the episode. It's not a blow-by-blow account of the plot. So we hope that if you haven't seen this episode, there will still be some surprises for you when you do. So here to take it away is Professor Michael Merrick. During a break from the action, Tilly volunteers to lead an exercise at the brand new Starfleet Academy. She takes Adira along, but their shuttle has technobabble problems and crashes, killing one cadet. Life support's running out. There's more technobabble that keeps them from contacting the USS Armstrong for rescue. One of the cadets is Orion, and the other's family was a victim of the Emerald Chain, so they're antagonistic until Tilly finally manages to get them all to know each other and work together better. With life support running out, Tilly leads them all to a ridgetop on this snowy, icy planet. From there, they'll be able to call for help, but on the way, they're chased by big, nasty somethings or others. Tilly says they look like big jellyfish, but jellyfish from hell that are attracted to the technobabble of Tilly and the cadets. And our, our guys are finally beamed to safety at the very last second, finally having learned to work as a team. Meanwhile, negotiations are breaking down over the question of Navarre rejoining the Federation. Navarre wants a clause allowing them to leave again without notice, but that would be a bad precedent for the growing Federation. Burnham is both a Starfleet officer and a citizen of Navarre from centuries ago, you remember. She proposes that she serve as an intermediary because she doesn't exclusively represent either side and she has allegiances to both. And they find that to be acceptable, so welcome back, Navarre. 
A third subplot is Kulberg counseling Book, who is still having trouble accepting that he is not guilty for his family death. He does make a little bit of progress in this episode. And Tilly did so well saving her team and getting them to work together that Kovich, remember him, Kovich, offers her a job teaching at Starfleet Academy, and she accepts. There's a tearful departure from Discovery, and that is the end of the episode. Way to bury the lead, Michael. Well, we kind of just, just well, I don't exactly do these <laughs> sequentially because this time at least we, we broke up the subplots into different paragraphs. But yeah, that's, that's the cliffhanger at, yeah. at the end of the episode. So no, I'm just giving you a hard time. Yeah, this one was a, a little complicated, but I thought it came together a little bit better than, than last week's. But we'll, we'll talk about that later. Right now, before we get to philosophy, and the morals and the meanings that we just have a few things here. Well, maybe more than a few things that we'd like to mention first. Yeah, Rodney, in the last couple of weeks, you've suggested that something big is going to happen to Tilly. And last week, I suggested maybe it would be her leaving the ship. But I was kind of thinking it would be at the end of the season. So generally speaking, I'm not sure if we can say we nailed it, but we were awfully darn close, at least, to seeing where they were going with Tilly's storyline. When I was thinking about it happening at the end of the season, that would make sense as kind of a cliffhanger and wait for next season. But I think it makes sense now, too, in a way, at least. The producers, when they were writing these scripts, planning the season a year and a half or maybe even two years ago, they didn't really know whether the studio executives would want them to take a holiday break, like Prodigy is taking a break right now. And so I think maybe just in case they created this cliffhanger for what could hypothetically be a mid-season finale if Paramount had decided on a break like they did in the first season. Paramount hasn't done that, but this would have been kind of a safety clause in case. We're obviously going to see more of Tilly. I'm not sure she's um, in the clear yet, though. I mean, there there may be dark days ahead of her yet. We'll we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, and you know, Tilly has had someone die on two subsequent away team missions that she's commanded. This time it was Lieutenant Callum, and they yeah. don't really mention that in this episode. But it was the first one that that got her thinking about where she wants to be in life. And, you know, it, it wasn't, in many ways, it wasn't her fault in either case, but still she was in command. She felt the responsibility. And I think that even though they didn't mention two away team missions in a row in the episode, I think that is something that, that is seriously getting to her. And yeah, I think you're right that it's not just going to be over her mental concerns are not just going to be over and done with, with this change of locations to Starfleet Academy. By the way, at the beginning of this episode, uh, we had a really long captain's log entry from Captain Burnham. I don't know if you noticed that. It went on and on and on. Lots of exposition for the viewers. It's almost like repeating the previously on Star Trek Discovery, <laughs> but I thought it went way more and got way into more personal details than is appropriate for a formal captain's log. Over the years, we've also heard entries from personal logs, and I think a lot of what she's talking about in this monologue at the beginning of the episode would be more appropriate for a personal log. Yeah, I agree. The montage behind that monologue, by the way, I was looking for the bridge crew 
in this episode and they were missing an action for I think the second episode this season and I went back to look for them in that montage and I did not see them they were nowhere to be found in this episode seems a little weird to me yeah we we keep wishing that that they would make this more of an ensemble cast but uh they have a handful of characters they're really focusing on right now and the others aren't getting aren't getting the screen time as as actors i have a feeling maybe they'd be a little uh a little unhappy about that but they probably know where the storyline is going maybe there's something big coming up for them that that the writers are saving back who knows again just a few a few little incidental things uh the new 930 year in the future shuttle that we saw them take uh, to get to the starfleet academy it had kind of an archy thing on the back that that reminded me just a little bit of the Orville, just a little, but there was some kind of just kind of arc across the top back hmm. of the shuttle that I don't remember seeing on previous Starfleet shuttles. Yeah, you know, now that I think about it, that that those shuttles looked somewhat featureless, like Planetary Union shuttles, right? Don't know. Or like these ram yeah. kind of yeah. bullets going yeah, through. Yeah, kind of. Yeah space i mean i'm not expecting after 900 800 900 years that they're going to look just exactly the same certainly not sure. but uh yeah. i just i just noticed the thing and somewhere in the back of my mind and said it said orville yeah speaking of those shuttlecrafts this episode reminded me of of other shuttlecraft episodes and in particular uh the galileo 7 from the original series mm -hmm. of course we all remember that one starfleet officers crash land on a planet it's populated by these hostile life forms, and they have to struggle to work together to escape and be rescued. It, and, it was and, very much yeah, the and, same sort of thing here. And crew members are mad at each other. Yes. <laughs> and I mean, in the Galileo 7, it was mainly against Spock. You know, That's right. It was right. his first command and all that kind of thing. But yeah. It's very similar. Not that I'm complaining here. I'll say a little something about that later. You also get some echoes here from while we're speaking about the original, the original series, a balance of terror. So we have uh, Gorev's bigotry here against the Orion cadet brings to mind Lieutenant Stiles from balance of terror. He had relatives die in the earth Romulan war. And here we have Gorev who's lost his grandmother to the tyranny of the Emerald chain. So it's, we're getting these, uh, uh, these notes that we've seen before in Star Trek. Again, not that I'm complaining. Yeah, also remember the guy in the Corbomite maneuver, Lieutenant Bailey, who, mm -hmm. I mean, they didn't know anything about Baylock, but he was mm -hmm. mad about Baylock and all that. And, right. and he was the one who ended up, the, the message of that episode was he was the one who stayed behind to learn more about Baylock's culture. Ah, right. Okay, sure. So, well, the whole plot twist of the Corbomite maneuver was this nasty right. alien <laughs> with the huge ship is really Clint Howard. Um, yeah. who, who likes to drink Tranya. Um, Great episode. One yeah. of my favorites. So the Starfleet cadets in this episode grew up isolated and disconnected because they were from different worlds that weren't part of the Federation and at least in some cases had never met aliens before. And I see a little bit of COVID inspiration there, again, from a year mm -hmm. and a half ago. The kids in our culture just didn't like being stuck at home they miss their friends and things. And so I see a little note there of the effects of the isolation of the um, effects that maybe keep you from being as social as maybe you, you would want to be. Or maybe as you need to be. 
Yeah. Right. It's kind of, we'll talk about this, I'm sure, but it's kind of crippled these cadets in a way being so isolated. When I saw this, I, I thought a little bit about prodigy. This kind of echoes prodigy a bit. You know, you've got these young people that haven't been able to interact with each other and they're thrown together and they got to work together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hey, Michael, I saw something in this episode that was really weird to me. I'm sure you noticed uh, they used a wipe transition after the cadets were rescued from the establishing shot mm -hmm. to the shot of the cadets and Adira and Tilly and Starfleet headquarters. That's, that's where the, the image kind of, if you will, scrolls across the screen. Yeah. And the, the first thing I thought of was Star Wars, right? Yeah. Uh, why did they do that? I'm not sure I've ever seen a wipe in Star Trek before. To be honest, I, I, I didn't notice that. You pointed it out, oh. and I'm the guy that's supposed to notice the media thing. So that, so <laughs> I, I didn't notice that at all. It's possible it was just to do something different, but I think oh, it it more right. it provides more of a transition than just a dissolve does. Mm -hmm. So maybe they were saying, okay, we're we're really at a different time and place now. You know, I I try to assume that you know whenever whatever choices are made there's a a good reason for them i beginning to suspect in discovery the reason is sometimes it looks cool which for me is not enough but maybe that's all there was to it it's like we need a cool looking transition here that's not a simple dissolve i know let's use a wipe in any kind of media there are always reasons behind decisions and often we can only guess what they were. I mean, if you just read a book or read a short story, you know, you look at the adjectives that are used, for example, and there are six different words that could have been there for an adjective. Oh. And why did the author pick this particular one? Sometimes the author couldn't even tell you that it's just what came to <laughs> mind that seemed to fit fit the flow. I think that that same thing applies to where the cameras are as we see the sets, camera angles and lighting. And yeah. a few episodes we talked about the, the different meaning of colors. And a lot of the Starfleet scenes are very, very bluish in tone. And, you know, I think, I think there are reasons behind them. Sometimes the production team themselves might be a little vague as to being able to explain the rationale behind it, but their sense of artistry and their experience says to do this so yeah but beyond that know, it's hard it's hard knowing i just thought of something while you were talking about these decisions that were made and i kind of want to give uh these folks credit i i wanted to say something about navarre and in particular the conference room and you were talking about the color of discovery tends toward this sort of kind of like these cool blues mm -hmm. but navarre is very warm in color and we could talk about why or why not you know i guess you know, Vulcan is, or sorry, Navarre, excuse me, is this sort of maybe a desert kind of planet. But I just wanted to say also that conference room is beautiful. And there's some, there were these characters around the wall that were just gorgeous. I, I thought they did a great job with that conference room. And you realize, I wasn't planning to talk about this, so I can't remember the terminology, but you remember what Discovery is doing this season, is they have monster huge video display screens in the background of the of the real set they're using it's not added in later with green screen with cgi it's all done ahead of time so the actors can actually see it you know if they turn around and 
look out the window, they can actually see what's out the window. It's it's really expensive to do, but the actors really like it because they're not guessing what they're reacting to anymore. They're actually they're actually seeing it. So some things in the foreground, I don't know, maybe the table was probably a real set piece, but it could even be that the walls behind them were in reality, a big, huge, super high resolution video display of graphics that had been prepared earlier. I don't know. I I had no idea about that. Yeah. I did not know that. It, I mean, and, and one or two other series have done this, but this was an adaptation to COVID, so they don't have to do as much location shooting. Oh, okay. Again, like Tilly on, on the snowy planet, you know, it's hard telling how much of that if any was green screen, how much of it was just computer graphics? With the people off in the distance, it was probably just computer graphics. But, but like when when they're up there on the ridge and there's a background and things, they're probably mm-hmm. standing on something, but the rest of it is inserted, and they can actually see what we, the audience, will eventually see, and react to it in in their role as an actor. So yeah, it's really super high tech, but mm-hmm. it seems to be working well. It seems to be working well this season. I never would have guessed that. I mean, everything looked real to me. At this point, let's go ahead and transition into our discussion of, um, you know, any themes, deeper uh, messages, meanings, morals, and the like uh, that we found in this episode. And one of the key points of this story is that Rillick, President Rillick, invited Burnham and Saru to attend the meeting, what supposedly was going to be the final meeting about Navarre rejoining the Federation. And we have a hidden agendas of diplomacy storyline here. Tarina, who is the Vulcan president, gave Rillick kind of a heads up behind the scenes that there was a problem and there was going to be resistance to Navarre rejoining the Federation. But they each, in their official public capacities, they had to take the position chosen by their representative delegations. And uh, Rillick concludes that maybe only Burnham and Saru could bridge the two sides, but she can't even say that overtly to Burnham. It, she kind of says something, and then it's kind of like wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You understand right. what I'm really saying? It's not what I'm saying, but what I really mean. And you know, diplomacy often does work behind the scenes, and and what the diplomats say in public is not necessarily what's going on in private. I can't remember which one, but I remember one of the Tom Clancy novels uh, discussing this dynamic of what happens in diplomatic meetings, diplomatic conferences in great detail of in public, they always say, they say the same thing and the same thing and the same thing, and they're talking behind the scenes, and then somebody changes one or two words in what they say, and that's the next step. And uh, it's not exactly what happened here. That happened in a Tom Clancy novel, but it reminded me of that. And note, Tom Clancy was a Star Trek fan. He mentioned Star Trek moderately often in his various novels. Didn't know that. Yeah. And this storyline also brings up some of the same questions we talked about last week about whether the ends justify the means. In this case, eh, maybe it's a little subtle, but it's the maneuvering behind the scenes of diplomats to accomplish a goal while opposing it in public. And again, both of them Tarina and Rillick feel their hands are tied because they have to support the position taken by the whole delegation. It's not something that they can decide themselves. And so they turn to a third party for a solution, and they can't even come out and say it, like I said. The outcome is that Burnham 
says that the past mistakes should not define our future. And I think that's a, that's a good message. And they're going to be part of, uh, I think, Burnham and Saru, but particularly Burnham will be part of an independent review commission that will impartially represent the interests of all the worlds. And that turns out to be that's just enough of a compromise that it's acceptable to both sides. And so and so Navarre is back in the Federation. But note also that Burnham tells Tillich that Tillich needs to be more transparent so that Burnham can best serve the Federation. Um, you know, if she wants some, come out and say it. So the title of this episode, All is Possible, flows, actually it flows from more than one point in the story. It certainly flows from the diplomacy subplot, but it's also mm -hmm. from Tillian cadets as, as they work to survive and build a team. And it's kind of like the, the message, All is Possible, is kind of like Peter Quincy Taggart, saying, oh. never give up, never surrender. You know who I'm talking about, right? Oh, I don't yeah. have to explain it. Yeah. Never give up, never surrender. But the reality is you often have to work hard to make things that are possible become reality. And Kovich talks about the belief of the Discovery crew that all is possible, which was so different when they arrived in the future, when everyone else was struggling with, uh, uh, with the burn. Uh, and he says that's something the new Starfleet cadets need. Tilly also has a similar message for Adira. Well, the example here was, I can't make friends. I'm not good at making friends. And Tilly says, don't start by thinking about what you can't do, what's not possible. Think about what is possible and how to make things happen. And I, I'm just going to keep going here with a couple of more related points. Uh, Tarina also asks the philosophical question, is trust of another's commitment to a shared goal enough despite the scars of history and that's what's going on here some of the factions at least on navarre are still mad about how the federation behaved when the burn happened a century ago mm -hmm. and i thought it was interesting saru's response is that trust is a journey it's not he didn't say it this way but i think he meant it's not black and white it takes time and and there's a process and there there are steps to it and I also thought it's interesting for the purposes of the story that it was the Vulcan logic traditionalists that are holding the past against the new young federation, which seems to me to be illogical. But we've known that they're the ones that are more skeptical. Last season, we saw that the, the people who were the descendants of the Romulans were much more interested in working with the federation That's right. than the, the descendants of the, of the Vulcan traditionalists. And one more point, then it'll be your turn, Rodney. Uh, oh, Tilly's, okay. <laughs> Tilly's point to the cadets is that there is common ground among them, but they'll never find it unless they talk to each other. And in effect, she says, people are often not what you expect. And that's certainly what we, what we saw here. And uh, I think this is, this is a long-term message. And it's the same message in some ways as the Corbinite maneuver that we mentioned a while back. It's easy to discriminate yeah. against someone, even hate someone, a group of people, if you don't know them, if they're essentially anonymous. The more you get to know them and get to know them as individuals, the harder it is to discriminate and the easier it is to understand their perspective. And I think that's a long-term message in Star Trek, not just this particular episode. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the reasons why I like this episode is I found 
certain aspects of this episode comforting because they are reminiscent of Star Trek themes and messages that we've embraced, <laughs> yeah. you know, mm -hmm. for, for decades now. Um, you know, I might end up repeating some of the things you've said, but I, this is my take on the theme of the episode. As you know, I, I, I like to try to tie everything together and, and see how well it coheres. And I tried that here, as you pointed out, these cadets, they, they grow up isolated and disconnected and they're finding it difficult to work with others. Kovic is brought in to consult on this problem. Tilly points out, <laughs> she's right, that they need to talk to each other and to find common ground. And that's what happens between the Tellarite and the Orion cadets here is that they finally listen to each other and it just changes their, their entire um, perspective on each other. The Federation and Navarre, they've been doing a lot of talking, obviously, four months worth hasn't been enough. So they needed this last minute compromise, which neither side could propose for political reasons, as you talked about. Burnham and Saru were able to find one, but only after talking to others and learning more about the situation and the participants and what was driving them. And only then could they find common ground. See, there's that theme again. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, and when the cadets, I'm going back to the cadets now, when they became unified, they became stronger. And it's hoped that the unity between Navarre and the Federation will also strengthen both of them, right? You know, just let me inject about the, the cadets becoming stronger when they're unified. There's the one scene where all four of them in a row, all four firing their phasers to save Tilly. But I, I think that was a visual emphasis of all of a sudden these folks have blended together and, and are working as a team. So I thought that was a visual statement of what you're talking about. You know, that's, I hadn't thought about that. That's a really good point. There's a shot in there where they're up on that ridge, yeah. you know, and acting together in unison. And, and it's, you can I see mean, them. They're all together there in that one yeah, shot. And every one of together. them has like, if you will, the heroic stance, you know, yeah. like, we're going to fire our phasers. And, and uh, yeah, I thought it was, a, I thought it was a dramatic scene and it, and it's, it's just in line with what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, not just, not just knowing each other better, but unified working as a team. And uh, yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> now there's one storyline I haven't gotten to yet. Book and Culber. How does that fit in? Here's what I think is going on. Book has obviously been crippled by the loss of this healing connection he had to his homeworld and his people. And I think that maybe there's a kind of warning of what isolationism can bring. Uh, which these folks here in this time are worried about. Um, Booker may endure. He's not going to thrive, though, unless he can forge new connections. And he's working on that with Culber. So I think maybe the message here is this. And really, I'm just repeating a dialogue from the episode here. We have to grow and change together. And that means we're going to have to talk to each other. And if we do that, anything is possible, right? Otherwise, all we can do is endure and not thrive. Great message for our own time. Mm -hmm. uh, another reason why I like this episode, I think. I've got a few minor themes here I wanted to mention. Go to it. Also, if I could. So we've got that Quay Tholum Quay scene. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, between Book and Culber. I found that a very moving for a couple of reasons. First of all, we're seeing this man, Book, who... Up to now, has been kind of like this action hero, wouldn't mm -hmm. you say? Yeah. 
And here he's really grieving. He's being vulnerable. And I just feel like this is great. It, it's, a, it's a kind of, well, attack maybe is the wrong word, but it's a kind of attack, a helpful attack on these harmful traditional gender stereotypes, you know? And it's okay for even a very strong man like Book to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And another thing I was thinking of here is that maybe there's a message here about the importance of our, our connection to our own planet, which itself sustains us. You know, there's no planet B and we harm it at our own peril. Maybe there's a climate change message here. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. And another thing I just wanted to mention real quick. At one point, Rillick tells Burnham, were I to offer a compromise, it would project weakness. And when I heard that, I I couldn't help but think of our own sort of political situation here in the United States. You know, are they obliquely referring to this aversion to compromise that some politicians in our country have? I don't know. It it would not be unusual to have the writers thinking about, and yes, Star Trek fandom goes around the world, certainly, but Mm -hmm. it is a creation of the American film industry shot right across the border in Canada, and so it is not surprising that there would be influences from at least North American culture, including North American politics, that that go into understandings here. And the view of politicians in Star Trek may well be colored by, over the years, by what's going on in politics at the time the stories are written. So, yeah. And if I were more um, knowledgeable and less ignorant, (laughs) I mean, I, I would know whether or not they may be referring to the political situations in other countries as well. You know, maybe this is a more global problem. I don't know. But um, any final thoughts, Michael? Yeah. um, Number one is really this episode was a character development episode. And I think that's one of the reasons you you like it. There is there is that hit, the the crash on the planet, so there's some danger and action thrown in. But the real purpose, I think, of this episode is character development, so that we understand. Uh, I I don't know if we'll see these cadets again. We might, since Tilly is teaching there, so they may become recurring characters. But at least you know understanding the mindset of young people in the new federation. We're understanding still more about Tilly and Book and Tarina and Telek. It's understanding more about a lot of people here in this story. And I think in many ways that was the point. Character development with just a hint of action thrown in to to keep the pace up. Mm -hmm. What do you think is going to happen to Tilly? Yeah, that's that's got to be what uh, most fans are thinking about. I I'm not sure. Um, you know, I I I think she'll be back. I mean, you know, we've got the rest of the season to go here. So, you know, my question is: Is she going to be a regular character, or is she going to be demoted to more of a recurring character? That's my big question. But I, I will say the decision to take her off the ship seems really weird to me. I mean, she might be the most loved character on the show, right? I think she will be back eventually. Well, for one thing, I think if she was leaving the show, we would have heard about it in the entertainment media. 
So oh, okay. I, I don't believe that there is any issue with her leaving the, the cast, leaving the storyline. But I, I suspect for a while she'll have a subplot uh, story arc, her own subplot story arc, and it'll be one of two or three subplots in episodes for a while. And eventually they will come together. In a way, it's like Saru left Discovery at the end of last season to go to Kaminar. And, oh, Saru's gone. But two episodes later, he was back. He's back. Yeah. Uh, I think Tilly may take longer. It wouldn't surprise me if she finds a way, even from the Academy, to be part of solving the problem about the anomaly. And um, so I think I think it is it is part of her character arc. I don't think she's going. I, I would be really surprised if she's going away. But I have an even more important question about Tilly. Do you think that Starfleet Academy faculty are required to publish or perish? Which basically, that's the cliche about today's higher education faculty members who have to do teaching and service and, and scholarly research. Do you think she's got to do all three of those? So publish or perish. So you're asking me if I share Roddenberry's hopeful vision for the future. Is that it? <laughs> well, maybe the, the hopeful vision for the future after final grades are turned in. Yeah, I think maybe so. Discovery really is focusing on mental health this season, all across all of the episodes we've seen so far, and in different ways, Book and Tilly and Gray, each in their own ways. And if you think about it, probably the entire crew that came from the past is still coping with loss, loss of their families, loss of their friends from, from their decision to travel into the future. We know that these episodes were written before the COVID vaccinations were available, months before, and, and at a time when the need for isolation, there was an often expressed need for isolation, and that was tough for a lot of people. A lot of people had a huge amount of trouble just coping with that, with the lack of in-person social connections. And the, the unanticipated deaths of loved ones from COVID still happening every day today. Yeah. And it's another thing that a lot of people struggle with, regardless of what their political thoughts about vaccinations are in that. And um, in this episode in particular, I said Book, Tilly, and Gray, and even the Starfleet cadets who had grown up in isolation and were awkward, basically awkward at being social. So I think, yeah, I think it is, is beneficial. It's not just an accident. I think that it is beneficial that mental health is a focus through the season, and I assume it will continue to be because most of these characters haven't solved their 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 mental health problems yet. They're working on them, but they haven't solved yeah. them. And I think that 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 just that general visibility um, for our society, not too tightly tying it to COVID or whoever things like that, but just just the fact that here are characters who we've already come to respect at different levels. And to see them with these challenges about mental health, I think that is that is a, a good message and almost, in a way, good mentoring for for the people that watch to see them going through this and taking action, working working on it. You know, it, it would be wonderful if this season, even if they're not, even if it's not uh, transparently about COVID. Um, it would be wonderful if this season helped people get through COVID, you know, if it was therapeutic for people. I wouldn't be surprised if, if that was part of what was in the minds of the people in the writer's room as they were charting out the main storyline and the subplots in that. Yeah. 
because that's the process. You, 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 what is the main storyline? What are the subplots we're going to throw in? Okay, break it down into hour-long scripts, and who's going to write this one? Who's going to write that one? So that's kind of the process they use, and so it wouldn't surprise me of these influences. I just wanted to note before we sign off here, I think this is my favorite season four episode so far. And I, I found the episode in, in a way comforting because it reminded me of these often used Star Trek plots. You've got the Starfleet officers stranded somewhere. How many times have we seen this happen? But also Starfleet officers playing a crucial role in the success of diplomatic negotiations. I mean, how many episodes of The Next Generation did we see that? Like loads of them. And so I, I, I like that about this, this uh, episode. And even though it had three different storylines, unlike last week, I, I found that it seemed everything in it seemed to go here by the end of the episode. It just, it just seemed more focused. And so for that and a number of other reasons, I think this is the best one so far. Yeah, you know, in writing, in, in telling stories like this, it's hard to come up with absolutely, totally new ideas that no one sure. has ever used before. So there are going to be influences, and the negative perspective would be, would be formula plots. You know, they crash on the planet, they have to save mm -hmm. themselves. But the, the question is not, have, has anything like this ever been done before? The question is, how, would you, how do we do it this time? Mm. How do we make it fresh? How do, how do we make it creative? How do we make it something that, that has value to, to the audience today? And I think, I think we are seeing that in these various storylines in Discovery. I think we could also say that, you know, insofar as, as this plot has been used, is being used again, it does serve a, a larger purpose, right? It makes sense given, I think, what we think this episode is trying to do at a deeper level. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we get towards the end of the season, we will be able to not just look at messages and, and lessons in, in a particular episode, but we'll, see, we'll be able to look back and see how they span the entire series. And there will be messages and themes that, that span the entire, the entire season that we're partway through now. So, yeah. That's right. We want to thank everyone who is listening for joining us this week. Uh, we've had a good time this week, and we hope you have too. Uh, we will be back next time with episode five of this season of Discovery. You can keep track of our new episodes and other announcements on our Twitter feed, at Trek underscore Academy. Think good thoughts as we grade finals and final papers and things like that. You can also subscribe directly at anchor.fm slash Star Trek Academy. Thank you for being here, and we'll see you next time.